You're pretty brave sitting up there with armed guards on either side. Us down here, all we got is what we got. Why don't you come down here and try this crap? That'll be enough. That's the real reason you don't want guns around here, because you're a damn coward. Without a gun to back you up, you got nothing. You got the gun. All I've got is what I've got. No way. I drop you and your guards will kill me. Maybe. Maybe not. Hell, anything happens to me, everyone gets an instant promotion. Always finding the good in every situation, eh, Captain? Absolutely. If I didn't, I might end up like you. Hey, what's that supposed to mean? Did anybody else hear that? Did you hear that? No, Commander. Good. I swear, if we live through this, somebody's gonna find their automatic shower preferences reprogrammed for ice water. No, 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 I don't want to hear it. Now, you get on that web, you use his emergency code, and you fight! Or I swear the last thing I'll do is send a report on your incompetence straight to Earth Dome. You'll be disbarred so fast you'll leave skid marks as they throw your ass out of the EMA. Now, you get on it, and you get on it now! Again, you would raise arms against your own kind. Have I taught you nothing? I carry my sword in my hand. You carry yours in your heart and in your mind. As I see it, that gives you a two-to-one advantage in arms. Be fair, Citizen Jakar. I will stay. Victorious in war. They have nothing left. An alien government exacts its final revenge. Surrender to the Centauri. On an all-new... Centauri will kill you. Babylon 5. Hello everyone, it's Scott. Before we get started with uh, our episode, A Day in the Strife, we have a special guest with us to talk a little bit about his project that we've heard about before, but there's some new fun things coming down the pipeline. So I've got with me Chris McCauley, who is the uh, co-owner and main guru guy for... Claudia Christian's Dark Legacies, which has a Kickstarter going right now, Chris, for comic book number two, but I know there's a lot more going on too. So I'm going to toss it over to you and you can tell the folks what you want to talk about. Yeah, well, we've just released the image uh, for the special cover that Kickstarters, Kickstarter backers will get uh, with, with Peter uh, Jersik on it. Uh, and Peter's looking mighty fine in that cover. Uh, he loves it. Um, and it's actually from a a famous uh, Star Wars a Marvel artist uh, called John Tyler Christopher, and he's pretty hot property at the minute. If you if you want some Star Wars toys uh, from the last couple of years, and you look in the, on the back of them, and you know you look front, you've got that nice painted uh, those painted images. Chances are those are his, and he's done some Marvel uh, Star Wars comics as well, uh, illustration and, uh, and painting. So that's the first little bit of news. Now the second little bit of news, it's quite exciting. So we have just signed uh, Walter uh, Koenig on to Dark Legacies, and he and I have been working on a character who will be appearing in a special story for Kickstarter backers in issue two. So um, working with Walter was a dream. Um, It was everything that you'd ever expect it to be. Uh, He is such a very generous and and kind man, and uh, far more than just Chekhov and ambassador to sort of prepare myself whenever I was working with Walter I did read his biography 
uh, I wanted to tie in some of the character with uh, some real life events with with Walter that Walter experienced. And uh, when Walter and I got together and started discussing the character, uh, yeah, he came up with some great ideas about where to go with it. Uh, so I'm going to share those with you. Now, nobody else knows about this. This is a Grey 17 exclusive. Um, so Walter's character's na- character name is Dr. Victor Steinhardt. He is the administrator of the Neptune Colony. He's in his late 70s. And he's responsible for overseeing the day-to-day operations and ensuring the well-being of its inhabitants. So he's lived through the oppressive rule of the previous totalitarian regime that was known as uh, Confed. And with that, he carries deep scars that are linked to a personal tragedy that he suffered during that era. So during the Confed's reign, Dr. Steinhardt, he was a renowned scientist. He worked in revolutionary technologies that could have greatly benefited uh, humanity. However, the regime exploited its work and perverted it for their own oppressive uh, purposes. So his research was always intended to enhance the quality of life um, of human beings, and it was twisted into tools of surveillance and control. And he was forced to cooperate under duress and witness the suffering and suppression inflicted upon his fellow citizens. He lost his lover during the regime's uh, tyranny, and that was the defining moment on, in Dr. Steinhardt's life. His partner was a vocal advocate for human rights, so I can tell you that Dr. Steinhardt's character is an LGBTQ uh, plus uh, character. He was taken away, his, his lover was taken away and executed by Confed, and he, he feared for the safety of his adopted children, and he sent them away, uh, only to receive word later that they would they died during a, a purging operation which targeted dissenters. That all sounds very dark and bleak, but from that comes a very positive and powerful character, as you will see in this story, who cares about his citizens. He uses scientific knowledge and his personal experiences to articulate the importance of self-governance and the necessity of preserving individual uh, liberties. And he passionately advocates for local decision-making, emphasizing the need for democratic processes within the Neptune colony. So from all of that sort of bleakness, again, we have the, the dark legacies of the past. We have somebody who's, who's fighting to try and create a better world uh, and more opportunities for, for citizens and to make sure that that tyranny never happens again. I don't want to go into the plot or the drama or any of that story because I want to leave that for the for the, for the people who, who um, grab the comic. Sure. Um, but that's the premise that we had. And a lot of this stuff resonates with Walter, with his past, Walter was actually picked up uh, by the by the FBI for suspicion of uh, communist activities. And you know what? Well, uh, there's a distrust of authority there. That was kind of how we tied the character together. So, but yeah, there you go, Scott. There, there is a bit of an exclusive for you guys. I'm all for it. You know, it was really exciting, and I may have gotten a little bit of a heads up about the Walter piece, and I'm that was really exciting. But I'm loving the fact that not only are you bringing these uh, amazing actors and people who have experience in obviously B5, but also sci-fi into the fold, but you're allowing their experiences and their just their lives to kind of help to define what these characters are going to do and what their, uh, what their arc is going to be, at least initially. And I love that. that it, it's not, you're just not using their likenesses. It's not just, hey, we're going to pay you some cash and we're going to stick you on a cover. That's not what you're doing. No. I love that you're involving them in the story process. I love that they are um, being able to kind of help to kind of drive your imagination as you kind of put all this stuff together. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was just, that was the start of my interaction with Claudia in this. So we, why it's called 
dark legacies, there's a couple of reasons. So the dark legacies, because obviously it's about, you know, the legacies of the past and the confed uh, government. And there's, you know, the dark legacies of some of the characters that they have to get through. You know, that we've got that sort of, um, I call it hope punk, hope punk, you know, a bit of hope, uh, hope punk in sci-fi now, where it's all about, um, you know, the, the hope of a better future for people who, you know, maybe have strayed away from a path or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, in chatting to Claudia, Claudia has a great sense of um, story yeah. and she's been involved in audios and games and, and films and uh, TV series. So whenever I start to write and craft this stuff with her, uh, she's got a great guiding hand on, on what would be, what you know, what would work. So, you know, I, I interact with Claudia, not as a fan of her, uh, but as a, a fellow fellow writer and um, as an actress, you know we, we've released the live action stuff, and there's one one more to come, uh, live action um, sort of little mini shows uh, where Claudia's in character as Jessica Steele, and I wrote the script for it. And what I said to Claudia, and I say this to anybody who works on, on any of my uh, on any of my pieces of writing or whatever they're actors, you know, read it. We don't don't have to do it word for word. Feel it out. Use your instincts why we bring people on board is because they've got a natural instinct for creativity. And it's the same with Walter. Walter, I don't interact with Walter as Chekhov or Bester. Um, I interact with Walter as a fellow writer. Walter's, Walter's written a couple of comic books, and a lot of people don't know that. I mean, one of the comic books he's written was actually a vampire comic book called Things to Come. And um, he was fascinated by my work in the Stokerverse <laughs> and my work with the Bram Stoker legacy. But go and check that comic out. It's, it's, it's really intriguing. It's got a couple of different layers in it. You know, uh, and when Star Trek ended and the original series ended Walter became a writer he actually wrote uh, an episode of the animated series they didn't weren't able to bring on the you know the full cast for that because they couldn't afford it he wrote that and he he's written an awful lot of things so that's how I relate to Walter as a as a fellow writer and we we talk about our writing journey uh, together that's awesome. So, Chris, tell the folks, and I'll, I'll have the link down below as well, too, but tell the folks how they can get involved in the creation of this as you guys are working on releasing number two right now. Yeah, number two, uh, we've got about, I think we've got just slightly over 10 days to go, so you've got to be quick. We made the target, uh, so number two issue is going to be made, but if you want to pick up all the extra goodies, all the extra covers, uh, and there's a few more to be released, um, you've got to go to the Kickstarter link that um, and Scott's going to um, provide. And uh, yeah, just click in. You can grab copies of issues, issues one and two on the Kickstarter. So if you've missed out on issue one, you can still grab it. And uh, yeah, there's lots of interesting little goodies and tears there. And come and join our uh, Dark Legacies Facebook group. Uh, Peter's on there. Peter Jersick's on there. Claudia's on there. You know, Walter might come on board there. I actually have to give Walter the link for him to join if he wants to. <laughs> I forgot to do that. I need to do that tonight, actually. Um, and then, of course, you'll have me there. Uh, but nobody wants to talk to me. Um, That's not true. Uh, You're a fun chat, Chris. <laughs> well, I don't have an Optimus Prime sitting beside me. You know, I, I want one of those now. That's a. <laughs> what I've got. What I've got beside me, you know, I'll have to, I'm going to show you this for, for the benefit of the people listening to this. I worked in the Terminator franchise a little bit. Mm-hmm. And sitting beside me is. Oh, wow. This bad boy here that was, that was given to me. And um, I was, I was recently given limited edition Terminator two toys. You can't get anymore. I don't know if you remember those. I, do, I had a couple of those. I had some, yeah. there was like the one where you could play with the silly putty to make the skin on the, the skin. skeleton. Yeah. 
Yeah, and what Chris, because this is an audio show, uh, what Chris just pulled up was, it looks like a one-eighth scale Arnold. One-eighth scale Arnold. It was presented to me for uh, an acknowledgement of my work on the Terminator franchise. So I, I worked on Terminator 1, 2, the RPGs. I've worked on Terminator Defiance, Dark Fate, uh, the upcoming video game. I've worked on Terminator Genesis, the uh, miniature game. Continue to work on that, actually. I'll still be in support of by the by the publisher and uh yeah I've, i can explicitly reveal that i've created terminators for studio canal for the next uh, for the next couple of uh awesome. films and things so yeah but i remember that it was like a like you were talking about the the silly point it was like a factory wasn't it and you yeah, put your yeah, yeah. endoskeleton on and, and all of yeah, that kind uh, of stuff the endoskeletons had like rubber uh waste so you can you know let them do some Fast movies. Well, uh, I got some way really. You have cool toys. Nineties toys I had over the time. Now, do you have any? And this is a bit of a segue. Do you have any Babylon Five toys? Oh yeah, I mean I've got. Yeah. Okay. I've, uh, behind my head here, I've got most of the, the ones, and I've got. Speaking of Walter, uh, he's not coming out of the shrink of uh, the 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 blister pack, but yeah, I've got a Bester here who's actually. Oh, that looks really cool. A lot of these, you know, they usually. And again, an audio podcast, I'm holding up an action figure of uh, Buster. A lot of these, you know, they sat in comic book places for forever and they got really discolored. But this one is almost pretty. Looks great. Looks great. Never going to open up. <laughs> well, um, well, if you ever get to, obviously, if you get to convention where Walter's at, you know, yes. uh, come down. Um, I can tell you that Walter will be listening to this show as well. So, well, it's, well um, uh, I would say to uh, Mr. Koenig, uh, you, my dad and I, uh, spent many years watching you, but as I uh, on Star Trek. But as I tell uh, our newbie hosts on our show, and I tell everyone who listens, I don't remember Walter as Chekhov. I remember him first as Bester because I think that's one uh, an amazing role that he had for only thirteen episodes. He was in. It was an amazing role. It was. Was. Chris, I really appreciate the time. This is amazing work that you're doing. We really are happy to uh, kind of watch you do your thing and also help where we can. And thank you. It's been great chatting with you again, and hopefully we'll do it again soon. And uh, we'll have the links to the Facebook page and to the Kickstarter down below. So please check that out and help out these guys as they continue to kind of build this universe. Thank you very much, folks. We we cannot do this without you, you know, and. Uh... If, when you contribute to the Kickstarter, your name goes in as a producer uh, in the comic book. Awesome. So uh, I will say that I get to uh, be a producer in comic book number two because I missed the first Kickstarter. I did not miss the second. So thank you, Scott. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate it. you. Have a good day, buddy. Bye, man. Bye. Have a good one. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. out there in podcast land welcome to grade 17 a babylon 5 podcast part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we're a group of newbies who are watching 
every episode for the first time and a group of first ones who have watched every single episode multiple times. We're here in episode three of season three talking about A Day in the Strife. I am Scott and with me is Blake, Emily, Nicole, Kevin, and Andrew. Before we get started talking about A Day in the Strife, a reminder to please check out our social media accounts, which are down below. We have Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also, if you're listening to the audio version of this, you can find our YouTube page. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can find the audio podcast, all linked there as well. We really do appreciate you checking out all those links and joining our social media accounts. We are over a thousand folks on Facebook now and nearly getting to 2000 folks on Twitter. So um, it's really good to see that community continue to grow. Along with that, the most important part is if you can leave us a review, please do. Specifically, if you can leave us a review on Apple, that's the big one that helps us grow this show out to new people. And we actually got a new review in a few days ago, another five star. So thank you for that. And this comes from Blind Groove 81. Blind Groove says, Great for the visually impaired. Came across the podcast a couple of weeks after launch, as I have just bought the complete box set of B5. Never seen the series before as mostly a Trek fan, but wish I had seen it sooner. Love the interaction between the newbie and first ones, including the host inside jokes. Love Nicole straight up and down, take no prisoners attitude. The descriptions you give about particular scenes bring it to life for me and adds to the enjoyment and details noticed. I have had to go back and watch so many again because of that. A slight confession, have just seen the last episode of season three. Don't worry, no spoilers, but can't wait to hear the newbies come unhinged. Waiting for the pod to catch up before I can watch season four. Keep up the great work and look forward to many more special episodes. Team Ivanova regards from Christian UK listener. Thank you, Blind Groove. We appreciate it. And we're really happy that when we get new reviews in. So please, again, you can add reviews to Apple. You can also do an Audible. And there's a few other places, too, where you can do written reviews. So please do that for us. And then finally, if you can, you can join our Patreon, where we have a Discord server going. I don't know what the folks are talking about now because it's hard to keep up. They're talking about so many different things. But anyone who pledges to the Patreon can get on that Discord server. And then if you go for the highest tier, which is our Grey Council, you can be listed as a producer. And thank you to all the producers listed in the show notes below. Okay, let's go ahead and dive into A Day in the Strife. And I believe Nicole has a synopsis for us. Yes, it was written by Jesse, but I'm going to go ahead and read it since she's not feeling well tonight. So Sheridan and Ivanova deal with a dispute with the Transport Association. A probe arrives and presents the station with a test. If they pass, it promises to share advanced technology. If they fail, the station will be destroyed. Garibaldi talks to Franklin about his stim usage. The Narn sends someone to become the new liaison between the Narn and B5. And Veer may have a new position. May have a new position. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, let's go into first impressions on Star Trek The Voyage Home. I mean, A Day in the Strife. Emily, first impressions. I enjoyed it. There was a lot going on. I really enjoyed the scene with Londo and Alin because she was just very shall we say, poised in her iciness towards Londo. <laughs> so I really appreciated her acting ability to do that scene. And I'm really interested as to what will happen on NARM because it seems like there's the possibility of a civil war coming since people are disagreeing about how to deal with this entire occupation. Andrew, first impressions. Yeah, so first of all, you called it Star Trek The Voyage Home. I would call it Star Trek The Motion Picture. Um but anyway, I think it's really interesting to start seeing more 
quote unquote real world issues uh being tackled on this show like first garibaldi being an alcoholic and now dr franklin being essentially a drug addict uh but probably my my one gripe with this episode is i was not a fan of that whole probe subplot yeah i mean anytime you have a killer probe i mean we can make an correlation to several different star trek episodes we could also what's the one with nomad uh, i forgot the name of it but you know you can do a lot of those nicole first impressions i thought this was a good episode uh there was a lot of things going on multiple different plots running at the same time but it didn't feel like it didn't mesh or it didn't feel chaotic um i thought it was really well done um a lot of great things I point out, a lot of humor, but also a lot of serious notes. I have a couple of references I want to point out a little bit later as we start talking. But yeah, I really I really enjoyed this episode. I think uh, from start to finish, it was pretty interesting. But yeah, I do also think the probe thing was kind of stupid. Um, but other than that, I really enjoyed this one. And over to our first ones, Kevin, first impressions. I too like this episode. Um, I thought the director, David Eagle, did a good job of weaving that all together with like like you said, Nicole, to your point about it not seeming like it was chaotic, I agree. I think even though it some of the storylines didn't didn't really have much to do with the other, it was almost felt like a more of an introductory episode, you know, for the season. I too, uh, to Emily's point, really enjoyed the the scene between Londo and Delon. I especially liked her line about thank you. And now the truth. That line is so good. That's uh, Delon just not having his BS. Um, I thought the uh, the reintroduction of Talon was good. Quite a few of the storylines I found very interesting, but we'll we'll get to that. But I too was not a fan of the probe stuff, especially the resolution. It just felt kind of meh. Blake, yeah, I think Kevin summed up how I feel on this episode with meh. It's kind of a take it or take it or leave it one for me. Um, more or less a throwaway. There are there are a few pieces in it. One, uh, the return of Talon, uh, having that character show up again, and some of the pieces, especially that scene with Delin and Londo. But other than that, yeah, just not a big fan of this episode, really. Yeah, for me, I mean, it's not like a oh my goodness, I can't not miss this episode. But but uh, I will say I, I kind of enjoy all the different subplots. The Narn stuff is really good. I love seeing Jakar really step up and become uh, what we've all kind of watched him moving towards. I am a huge fan of Talon. I have, I you all don't, I, I've been quiet about Talon. Even when he showed up without a name in uh, the one episode in season two, I uh, I didn't say much, but now have you, as you've seen him, uh, I think I can talk more about him. And also, as we mentioned the last time he showed up, we've actually interviewed the gentleman. Uh, Blake and I got to interview Marshall Teague, who plays Talon and also played the infection guy. Uh, Marshall has said some stuff to us in the interview that we have not said publicly to you all since season one, but actually one of the things he brought up comes with this episode so we'll talk about that in a little bit as for the probe i think it's just you know uh fun generic sci-fi it's definitely not something that's going to be overly impactful down the road but it is um it's a nice way to fill in some space i think that's a key thing for me and why i don't get overly mad or upset about this episode is it's a bottle episode and for those who know how tv works you get episode budgets for every episode of a season, but you also get an overall budget for the season. And when you can save a little bit of money in one episode, 
you can use that money down the road. And I'm not going to say w- how that money is going to be spent, but you'll notice that there's a couple more bottle episodes than usual in season three. And you'll see why when we get a little deeper into season three. So let's go ahead and start talking about the episode proper. And let's, because uh, I think it's the one we're going to talk probably less about, let's talk about the probe first and how Ivanova and Sheridan and CNC handle the probe. Nicole. Okay. First of all, I just want to point out that he called it a berserker, right? All I could think about the entire time was the movie Clerks with Berserker, the song, you know, that the Russian guy sings. I literally had to pause it and sing the song because I could not stop thinking about it. So tell me you're a (laughs) 90s kid without telling me you're a 90s kid. Right, right. So I just died laughing when he said it's a berserker. I literally like spit my drink out and was like, oh, my God, berserker. And I started singing the song. But anyway, um, yeah, I at first I was kind of like, what the hell is this thing that they're demanding they answer all these questions my thought was is that they were trying to get information and like okay thanks we don't know this stuff so thanks for giving it to us now we're gonna kill you you know what i mean but then when sheridan called it it's bluff and and it kind of we saw what it was um i was just like well that was stupid all that panic and worry and people working on these questions and doing all this work for basically nothing it was stupid I know how this episode's going to end with the little audio drop that I always put after Beyond the Rim. Thanks, Nicole. You're welcome. I get the Berserkers on. Kevin. Yeah, I just feel like the 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 ending, the resolution was just a little bit too neat and tidy, and was shared in again, knowing the the special information or or having the special insight that would solve the problem at the last second. It was just a little too convenient, plot convenience for me. Um, the the whole the whole storyline, other than some funny lines from Ivanova, was just kind of boring to me like so i just comment back on the other reference for berserker there's actually some novels uh series of sci-fi novels and we've seen jms has referred to other sci-fi work and given these little nods throughout various pieces but uh, there was a series called uh, the berserker novels where it actually was automated uh weapons of war that sought out and destroyed uh, sentient life so kind of a little nod in there with the title also for me, uh, Kevin, to your point about Sheridan knowing how it goes, I thought that was actually done fairly well. Uh, and I can see, you know, the, the Sheridan trope has been there from the beginning when Sheridan showed up. But uh, I, I like the idea that for most of the episode, he is doing exactly what the probe says. Everyone else is pushing. We see other characters dealing with it. Franklin, we obviously see dealing with it. And then he just starts putting two and two together. For me, that just throws an intelligence and... Um, a strategic mind, which we're kind of been told over and over again here that Sheridan has more of a strategic mind than most. So I, I can see where you're coming from, but it didn't really bother me. Emily, what do you got? I agree with you on that. Like that part didn't bother me because I feel like the timing of it worked. If he had realized it within an hour of the probe showing up, I would have been like, really? I mean, I feel like, yeah, it's possible. He, someone could figure it out that fast and maybe should have, but there it's not surprising that there would have been a delay. So he would figure out last minute, like, wait a minute, this is just weird. Cause even as I was watching it, there's so much other stuff going on that if your focus isn't just on that, it's going to delay the process of like, you know what? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Why would they give us information for that in advance that 
that feels like a ruse. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. That part didn't bother me. Nicole. Another thought to go along with what you both just said was um, two things. One was um, Garibaldi telling Ivanova that he looked at Sheridan's file and that he was strategic and he's probably the only one that could get him through this war that's coming, basically. Um, And then also uh, Franklin noting that Sheridan's been a little bit of a hard ass lately. And all of a sudden he's kind of like badass Billy, you know, and like him stepping up to that guy and giving him the gun and like just kind of like here I am, bitch. What's up? You know, like I feel like Sheridan has found his stride and his confidence. And I think Ivanova said he was trying to fit in at the beginning, but now it's more of he can be that leader that he is that the other people didn't necessarily know. So I think all of those three things kind of going along with what you said kind of make a lot of sense. And remember too, it wasn't just even a matter of fitting in. He was sent there originally to make sure the leadership of that station were loyal to earth not clark earth earth so now that he's kind of gotten into the stride and is not having to worry about who's dealing with what and honestly he's in the middle of everything as well too i think he's just more comfortable i I agree with you there anything else on the probe stuff and i also I, i do love that 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 cold open with the uh uh the palming of the the power supply for the PPG is is fun. I like that cold open a lot. Yeah, that's a good scene because uh, you know, unlike the the resolution of the probe, which I I found hard to hard to kind of stomach how it got resolved. I did really like that first scene, you know, with Sheridan being a badass, just like you would think he would be, you know, with the transport association. And I like I like some of the uh, the interaction between him and Ivanova at the end of that, too. So let's move over to our good buddy, Dr. Franklin, who we haven't said much about uh, in the end of season two and the start of season three. But he, he's got some stuff to deal with this time around. Nicole. So I said it, I think, last season sometime that I thought he was starting to develop a drug problem. And now I'm more convinced that he is um, because. When he told, first of all, he snapped on Garibaldi immediately once he brought it up and denied everything, which is the first sign. And second of all, when he promised him he wouldn't do it, you saw throughout the episode, he was getting real short, getting real bitchy, getting real crabby. He was shitty with somebody on earth and like went off. And even the other doctor was like, are you okay? Like, what's going on with you? But like, he was really short with everyone. He was just, you could, he was going through withdrawal essentially. So then he did the stim and then he lied about it at the end to Garibaldi's face, you know, and I was like, bro, like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> like, it just made me mad. So I've always kind of been a little easier on Franklin than a lot of other people, because I do generally like his character, but I'm really concerned about where this is going to go for him um, with the whole like drug issue, like drug problem issue, because I just don't see this ending in a good way. Um, so it just makes me uncomfortable. And, um, yeah, I just, I thought, you know, Garibaldi approached him very nicely. Um, but also like, he just totally acted like a dick immediately out the gate and then lied to him. So he definitely has some shit going on that he needs to resolve. Emily. Yeah, I agree with Nicole. I don't see this going well. Um, and I understand why he would lie to Garibaldi about it, but if Garibaldi could see it enough to like bring it up and be like, Hey, I've noticed it. If he actually thought he could get away with lying to him about it, 
which I don't think he did. I think Garibaldi absolutely knew he was lying. I think he just accepted it because he wasn't going to press the issue, but now he knows. Um, and I'm really wondering if he's going to confide in Ivanova or Sheridan first, because this is obviously a problem. I mean, you can't have your doctor doing stims and becoming unreliable. Kevin. Yeah, that was quite the snap by Dr. Franklin at Garibaldi, you know, when he says, uh, stop trying to put your problems on me just because you met, never met a bottle you didn't like. Ouch. And it is it is rather um, ironic that, you know, it it is, you know, you know, Jerry Doyle having that line coming at him, you know, who, you know, very unfortunately was. um uh, having his own substance abuse, you know, issues throughout his life. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you can clearly tell from this episode that there is a problem going on and uh, yeah, you called it, you called it Nicole. Uh, I remember you saying that last, last season, that was a good, that was a good call. It is, it is a, it is an interesting development. Nicole. Also, it kind of really like Kevin brought up that comment that he said to Garibaldi, because I wrote that down too. that that was just like uncalled for. And that made me feel like uncomfortable. And it made me feel bad for Garibaldi because y'all know I'm a Garibaldi stan. I love him. But um, that really pissed me off when he was he said that to him, because like, that's just fucking cruel. You know, here he is making him pasta and cannolis in space. This lucky motherfucker. He's getting the gifts of the gods of cannolis and pasta. Okay. And that's how he treats him. That made me mad. Also, side note, I really want to see a sub plot or a sub show uh, featuring Garibaldi and cooking and call it Dago's in space. And I can say that because I'm Italian. She can use the racial slur. Yes, I can say that because I'm Italian as hell. So I would like to see Dago's in space. Please show us more cooking, Garibaldi. Do we need another cooking demonstration with the induction stove by by Mr. Blake with cannolis and uh, pasta? I've made a lot of pasta in my day. That was a lot of pasta on the plate, was it not? It was, it was like a fucking mound of spaghetti. They're going to be needing more stems to get to bed after that. Too. Yeah. The stems so is just for their metabolism. <laughs> exactly. Emily, what do you got? You want to talk about the spaghetti? Um, Actually, yeah, because I was annoyed by the way he cut it. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is he doing to that pasta? Why is he cutting it? It was a mound. He had to attack it somehow. He had to attack it somehow. There's not enough sauce for that amount of pasta. And two, why is he cutting it like that? What is happening here? Yeah, I just had to get that in my system. Yeah. I'm remembering the line. I'm remembering a line from Band of Brothers for no apparent reason. This isn't spaghetti, it's noodles with army ketchup. (laughs) Oh, gross. Yeah. Before we get too much into the Italian stuff, Nicole, I've said this several times and I'm going to say it a lot over in season three, I think. I This is another example of why Babylon 5 is so rewatchable because, Nicole, you, you did call it, but a lot of people on our show have degraded Franklin and gone after him a lot in some things for uh, understandable reasons. But when you go back and watch season one now, and season two, but all the way back in season one and watch it as Franklin may have an addiction. It's a very different watch. So I love how this character building is kind of a slow burn for some of these characters. And I will say Franklin was absolutely the, the, the least well-written of the characters in season one and mostly in season two, but now go back and watch it again. 
with that understanding and see if it changes your perspective a little bit on the good doctor. Then we have the Narns. We have Nafar coming on board to take over, and we have Jakar having to decide if he wants to go back to Narn or not. So who wants to start talking about that? Nicole. So to kick it off, I will say I really like Talos. Is that his name? Talon. I didn't realize that him and Sheridan knew each other. I don't know if I just completely missed him when he was on previously, but like I didn't know any Rem- of that. Remember when Sheridan got picked up by the alien ship and he was being held hostage? And yes. there was another Narn there that he had first fought, but then was able to um, snap him out of his zombie-like presence. That was Talon. Okay, gotcha. So then that's why um, at the end, Talon says that he owes Sheridan a debt because Sheridan saved his life. Saved his life, yeah. I liked that sequence between um, him and Sheridan. I, I liked that a lot. Another thing I, I liked was when Garibaldi went to see Jakar and he was like, oh, I would think you're concerned for me. And he's like, I've seen too many of my friends die. I don't want to see you die. They're going to kill you. Don't go back there. And you could tell that Jakar was really pleased. And like he had a big smile, like because he felt I I think he felt touched that Garibaldi was concerned about him. So I, I thought that was really sweet. Um, it was a really nice moment between them because it was always Ger- uh, Garibaldi. It was always Garibaldi and Lando before. But now it seems like, oh, wait like they're kind of building their own little friendship and it was just really a really nice moment but um i also was really touched at the end when all the narn like refused to let him leave because he made that decision he knew he was gonna die and he's like i'm gonna go back there to save your families essentially and they were like no you can't do it and i just thought that was really really cool like that whole like sequence at the end when they all like i'm not letting you leave and then there was two and then there was like the whole group like it was kind of like a little roller coaster with the Narn storyline. You know, there was a lot of emotion, you know, and Sheridan off the bat was like, no, he's not going back. He can stay here forever if he wants, you know. Uh, and then at the end, when they're, he finally agrees to go and they're like, no, you can't go. Like it just it was a it was a very much of a, a roller coaster up and down, up and down. But it, it was done very well. And I thought like the way it all played out, I, I just thought it was very it was a, a heavy subject, but I thought it was very sentimental and, and almost kind of sweet. Emily. I um, really like the storyline for the Narn in this one because I think it highlights the difficult position to be in in that situation. So then Centauri have recolonized, have destroyed their planet. And now the argument is when and how do we resist? Do we resist now so the Centauri aren't as deeply entrenched? Or do we try to hold out for a little bit longer, see if we can like gain strength in other areas and then resist later. But the Centauri might even have altered the situation more, making resistance harder. So I thought that positioning of the argument was really well done. And how much are you willing to sacrifice for either position, really? Because, you know, either way, it all kind of sucks. <laughs> um, so I just, I really did like how they did that. And that being said, uh, Nafar did piss me off because he was like, oh, no, Jakar, you can go back and they won't kill you. It was like, bullshit. They absolutely fucking will. And you are either a liar or you're just trying to convince yourself that they won't. Um, and I thought it was a really good episode for Jakar because of how much he is willing to sacrifice to try to save his people. Kevin. 
I really enjoy this episode as well, uh, mostly because of Andreas Katsoulis's, you know, acting. I lo- I lo- really like the scene where he's talking to Nafar, uh, the the initial conversation, because it really gives Andreas Katsoulis something to chew on as an actor. Uh, he really got a really good scene there. And I, I enjoy the acting of Stephen Macht, even though I don't particularly care for the nafar character because i think he's kind of a i don't mean to say shady because i don't get to do the shady count around here but he's pretty shady you're not initially totally sure you know how talon is feeling about that whole situation because he's following around nafar but he makes it pretty clear by the end of the episode that he is not interested in anything nafar has got to say about the situation and it it really it really makes me you know think of our friends in in ukraine right now it really brought every image of of what's going on over there back when they were talking about it because it's just it's so tragic and it and it you know the the stakes of that war with the Narn is that you know for any Centauri they kill they continue with the the executions of five hundred Narn for every Centauri so the stakes are very high. God, that that scene with Nafar and Londo is just awful. It's just awful. I don't mean to say the scene is bad. I mean, just the 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 Londo piece of that is just awful. Mm. Nafar is an interesting one for me. For one, uh, and Mike bashed this movie a few episodes ago, but whenever I hear Nafar's voice, I think of the dad from Monster Squad because Stephen Mocked played the dad in Monster Squad, and that's where I first saw him. But I enjoy Nafar as a character because he's not played as a mustache twirling guy. He's not coming there to take over Jakar's place and to be the new head of the Narn because he is desperate for power or he is a inside agent for the Centauri. He believes what he believes. He believes that if we go full bore resistance right now, we will lose and more Narn will die. And we now know millions of Narn have died already. So Nafar is an interesting character. I don't agree with him. I think like most of the Narn on the station do that you need to resist and win if you can. But it's it, it's nice to see the other side of things and not done in a villainous way. Nafar is there because he truly believes what he believes. And so I do like that a lot. And again, I'm glad you all are enjoying Talon because he is probably one of my favorite side characters in this show so every time he pops up i do enjoy it yeah i agree with you scott i i i like the acting by steven mock and i i like the character but what i'm saying is i don't like the guy like he's he's uh, he's wrong and the way that he went about it like you know the, the narn clearly don't respect him and i was like oh yeah well they'll respect me they probably will and it's like god no they won't they think you're a collaborator dude what do you think yeah, because he is. But again, he's doing that because he feels that's the best way to save his people. Yeah. He's wrong. Don't get me again. I'm not defending the guy. But I mean, that scene with Londo that you mentioned where he is doing this, doing everything that Londo asked him to do and basically being a trained pet. Again, he knows if he goes against Londo, Londo will just find another asshole to take over. So if Nafar wants to be able to be in the quote unquote driver's seat of this as much as he can, then he has to do that. Again, he's wrong and history shows he's wrong, 
but he's not doing it out of a villainous side of things. That's where I'm getting at is he's just, he believes what he believes. He has convictions and he's wrong. So, but it's fun to watch. Nicole, what do you got? I was just going to say, yeah, he like, I think his intentions are good because he ultimately wants to, you know, have the resistance and wants to do that. But his way of going about it is not necessarily the right way, but he believes it is. And he's not coming in there being an asshole, blazing guns. And, you know, he's really trying to be he's playing the game is what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's doing what the Centauri want to get in their good graces. But realistically, he's trying to dismantle the occupancy from the inside. And that's what he feels is the best way to do it. And the other Narn don't agree, which I get. And and yeah, but like, I, I don't think, like you said, he wasn't villainous. I think that he was probably in between a rock and a hard place because he probably wants to obviously live and not be, you know, a slave to them. But also sometimes you got to play the game. You got to, you know what I mean? And it sucks. But sometimes you got to do it in order to preserve or survive and ultimately get to the goal that you want to get to. It's kind of shady and it's kind of shitty. But if that's your best option or be in a camp or be in a mine or be killed, play the fucking game. You know, the one thing I will say uh, to Tilan and I alluded to this, that sword. Uh, we found out when interviewing Marshall Teague that Marshall still has that sword. It's one of the uh, props that he was able to keep, and he uh, um, is very proud of that sword. It actually was designed for the episode and designed for the character. It wasn't something that just got off a shelf. Uh, and I, one of his favorite scene, uh, lines from the show is the line from this episode, and that is, uh, I carry my sword in your, my hand, you carry yours in your heart and your head, so you have me beat at least two to one. I just fucking love that line. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> so that was Anything else you all want to talk about before we move into questions and predictions? Um, Delin taking down Londo, just yeah. like that entire conversation, because she was just, you know, having her drink, having a chat, and she was not having any of his bullshit. <laughs> we were never friends. That's Basically. Rough. So he I mean, hardly talked, Londo. Yeah, pretty much. I yeah. mean, Londo hardly talks to anybody of any of any real substance. You know, Veer, Veer and Garibaldi a little bit, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. And just look what's happening now. Veer is gone. He's been sent away, and Garibaldi wants nothing to do with Londo. And actually, I, you guys already brought up the Jakar uh, Garibaldi stuff. I think it's interesting that that dynamic that we started out, even in the gathering, where Londo and Garibaldi were kind of close. Now Garibaldi and Jakar are kind of close. Mm -hmm. So Londo's lost everything. And the only two people, to your point, Kevin, that he could even talk to, now are gone as well. So there's actually a backstory for why Stephen First is stepping away from, from the series a little bit. And that's because he had he had gotten the opportunity to work on a on another show. Um, but um JMS was uh, in retrospect um kind of um you know happy about it because it it gives him the opportunity to write you know a, a situation where londo is even more put aside isolated, and yeah. isolated than he ever has been on the show and for for the show and for the londo character that's really interesting um that doesn't mean that we'll, we're never going to see steven first again you know far from it but um it is an interesting time in which you know, something in real life, you know, stepped into the show and actually made something really good out of it. 
JMS is all about his trap doors. Nicole, what do you got? I had two things. One of them was going to be the beer thing I was going to bring up that Lando sent him away and he clearly didn't want to go. And also, I, at first I was like, oh, he's concerned about him. He's fond of him. And then he's like, oh, well, he's an inconvenience. That kind of pissed me off. You know what I mean? So I couldn't tell, like, was he genuinely concerned about him and doesn't want him to be in harm's way? Or is he more of a nuisance because he questions him and he challenges him? You know what I mean? And Lando doesn't like that. So I think he just was like, okay, done. You're gone. You know? Um, And I was sad at the end when I saw him leave. Um, That really sucked. So hopefully we'll see him again. And then the other thing I wanted to point out was there was so many good Ivanova lines and Corwin and her going back and forth, like, and her and Sheridan, like, oh my God, I was dying. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the very many great Ivanova lines and and, uh, dialogues with her and Corwin and her and Sheridan. Corwin's last line is just freaking amazing and there goes my faith in the almighty yeah it, it made me it's made me snort laugh like hardcore if i live through this job without completely losing my mind it would be a miracle of biblical proportions well there goes my faith in the almighty i love that corwin corwin's another one kind of like uh how um our our good buddy uh um oh god Zach just Gallen. lost no, not Zach Allen. Before Zach Allen, the guy who re- was replaced. Lou yeah, Welch. Lou Welch. It's, it's kind of like Lou. I love it. Uh, with Lou, it's the same idea. It's just a character in the background that really doesn't get too much to do. But when they do, it's just fun. And I love Corwin for that. Andrew, what do you got? I just wanted to point out here real quick. Um, uh, when we interviewed Peter and he was talking about Stephen first, uh, how he would uh, like get his lines wrong a lot. And he used uh, the example of his line, is that what this is about? And that episode, I'm pretty sure that this was the episode that he yep. that he was talking about. Yeah, they were, uh, for those who haven't watched the interview, you should. But basically, uh, they had to call in the writer JMS because Stephen First kept going, is this what that's all about? As opposed to, is this what this is all about or whatever however he would he kept missing the that this and that however it was played so they had to call in jms blake so with londo and veer i i do think londo actually cares about veer and i think it was an intentional pushing away he was going to say what he needed to to push veer away and get veer to go and i think it's because he does care about him and i i think the issue with londo and we've seen these specs of this so far um especially going back back to like that council scene when Jakar gave that impassioned speech about freedom, and you see the look on Londo's face in the background of that. I think Londo knows the path he's on. He knows the bad in it. He just can't stop it. Not necessarily that he wants to stop it either, but you know, he's kind of along for the ride. And I think at this point, he's trying to push people off the ride that he may care about along the way. Um, the other thing I was going to bring up is there was a piece on Lurker's Guide about where JMS gets some of his story ideas. And he referenced that some of his ideas around the probe came from uh, there was a committee hearing held in, I think it was, he believes it was the 70s on the U.S. House and Sciences Subcommittee, where they discussed extraterrestrial life and contact. And what would we do if an alien probe just happened to send us a, hey, is anybody home message? And it was the official policy of that report that, no, we would not respond to it just in case it was to do something just like what this probe would. Was it there to cause problems. So there's an official government report there saying somewhere, if ET calls, we ain't picking up the call. It's also yep. when they changed uh, SETI from CETI for contact with extraterrestrials to SETI for search for extraterrestrials, because apparently we really don't want to talk to their asses. 
We'll be talking the Fermi Paradox on a bonus episode. No, we won't. But the Fermi Paradox is fun. There was a strike during this episode. Oh, I didn't even know that. Ooh. What kind of strike? Was it a writer's strike or was it? No, it was a crew strike because Uh, they were ununionized uh, until... And then the the producer, um, Copeland, kind of like stepped in and found a way to not bankrupt the show, but um, be able to have the crew unionize um, during during season three. But they they're like, OK, well, you guys don't have money and it's a shoestring budget and the whole bit, you know, but it's like, OK, guys, it's season three. Like we're not we're not going to tolerate you know, this non-union shop anymore. So they they were waiting after a lunch break and, you know, the director's like, what the hell's going on? And so, you know, he goes up to the front and they're all, they're all protesting in front, I guess. Okay, let's go ahead and move into questions and predictions for those who just joined us. Our newbies have not watched past this episode, so we are going to get their questions and predictions of what they think is going to happen next. So... First off with Emily, questions and predictions. I'm kind of curious what, well, maybe there's the makings of a Norn Civil War because of the disagreement about how to proceed against the Centauri. I don't know that how likely that would actually be, but it seems like the underpinnings for that might be there. Who the hell sent the probe? Like, was that some shadow bullshit or some other species we're going to never hear anything about again? It was like a one and done thing. And has Lanier told Dylan about Veer's uneasiness with Londo? And that was that's why she agreed to get him the position uh, on Mendar. Because in one of the previous episodes, you know, Lanier and Veer had that really brief interaction and they seem to be having it daily where... Veer is very unhappy with um, Londo and the situation on B5. So I'm wondering if that impacted Dylan's decision. Any predictions? Mm, no. I mean, your one question about the Narn Civil War can kind of be both, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Nicole, questions, predictions? A lot of my questions actually got answered before the episode. Like, does Jakar die? Well, clearly he doesn't. And then does Veer actually get sent away, which he does. Um, but I guess my only question is which could also be a prediction is, is this issue with the stims going to become a problem with Franklin um, going forward? I mean, obviously it's already a problem, but how bad is it going to escalate and what is it going to do? But I guess also prediction, I think it is going to become just worse and worse and it's, it's not going to go a good way. Um, Otherwise um, I think that the Narn are going to, to have their resistance at some point, either way, like a resurgence. And I think that um, them stopping Jakar from leaving at the end is almost like a renewed resurgence. And I think it's going to cause a bit more um, hope or excitement within the Narn to continue what they're doing. Uh, So I I think that's probably the only prediction I would really have. And Andrew. I did have questions and predictions, but Emily and Nicole already stole them. Punks. I'll try to make sure that you go first next time, Andrew. I'll try to remember that. <laughs> so 
that will be the end for our newbies for this episode. They will be leaving us, and then we will play our credits. So if you have not watched past A Day in the Strife, this will be where you leave us as well, too. And if you want to hear the first ones answer all the questions, predictions about this, and maybe talk a little bit more about the episode and what it wasn't brought up by the newbies, stay after the credits, and we will do all of that. Next week, we will be talking about one of my personal favorite episodes, passing through Gethsemane. Until next week, when we discuss that episode, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Emily. Nicole. Evan. And Andrew. Bye. Good night, guys. Bye. Later. Get the fuck out. Yeah. I'm trying. My computer's being shit. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at Gray17Podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim again. If you have not watched Pass a Day in the Strife, this is where you should leave. And if not, we're going to get into spoilers. And guys, let's dive into the questions first. And the first question is, will there be a Narn Civil War? Not that I'm aware of. No, not really. I think this is really the last time, for the most part, that we're going to deal with different sides of the Narn conflict. We'll have some inner machinations and all that good stuff, but I think this is the last time we're going to deal with really uh, should we fight or should we not fight? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the next big one will be when they finally free the Narn and they try to make Jakar their leader and he just kind of laughs and walks out. (laughs) Which actually goes to, uh, I'll skip ahead, Nicole's prediction I thought was spot on when she says the Narn will have their resistance, but then also Jakar uh, staying on the station will help to build hope within the Narn. Jakar is going to become a religious icon. Yeah. He is going to write the book of Jakar and become the person that they really do, the Narn follow through all of this. I don't think we're ever going to see like the Narn come back to greatness or anything, but he's going to be the one that helps them uh, get free of the Centauri. And, and Blake, to your point, they're going to look to him as being like the leader. So absolutely. I think Shakar staying on the station is a big boost for the resistance. The next one is who sent the probe? Cause Emily must have the receipts always. Meh. Somebody who likes to do probing. They were just trying to find some humpback whales. That's all they were trying. <laughs> all they were looking for. I didn't hear any screeching though, so you know. No, no. I again, I, I, I get some folks like the probe. Some folks don't like the probe. I just it, it's sci-fi. It's normal. It's yeah. Fun. Uh, has Lanier told Delin about Veer's uneasiness? I just don't think that he would. He would 
give up a confidence like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's necessary to tell, uh, you know, Delenn that piece, because what does it matter? He doesn't listen to Veer anyway. So why is any of that pertinent? Yeah. But I think... I don't think that Delenn, even if she had known, would have played it any differently. I mean, mm-hmm. she she probably likes Veer. Everyone probably likes Veer. He's a very likable guy. And mm-hmm. it was all kind of a win-win situation other than they were worried about how this was going to affect, you know, Londo. And again, he doesn't listen to Veer. So what would it have mattered at all? Yeah, and I I completely 100% agree with you. I was going to say the same thing because two things. One, it takes away Lanier's honor for him to go spilling the beans to Delenn. It also takes away Delenn's agency as a character to have to be told by somebody else what she needs to do in this situation. I think Delenn has the emotional intelligence to understand what's going on and recognize that Londo is looking for an out for his friend and Veer should not be in the middle of this crap, so let's get him out of there. So, yeah, I... I completely agree with you on that. It does keep Veer's hands clean for the rest of, well, a lot of, you know, at least the rest of what, the rest of this season-ish? Well, until he kills a Centauri Emperor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's season four. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. It also gives Veer the ability to start doing what he, we've seen the little seeds be planted throughout the past couple episodes where he's going to start doing his own resisting and helping to get Narn free of, uh, not Narn the planet, but individual Narns free from the occupation. So I think that gives him the ability to do that uh, where he's at now. So he is going to majorly disappoint Londo and make himself much more likable to the entire viewership of the show in the same, in the same sentence. I'm looking forward to a couple different revelations with Veer over the next several seasons. One is when we find out that Veer has been working behind Londo's back to help Narn. But then when we find out that Veer is the one who stabs the emperor in the gut or the chest I think that's going to be a huge point for the newbies. And of course, finding out that at the end of the day, Veer becomes the emperor. So all three of those are huge plot points for Veer that I'm looking forward to what the newbies have to say about it. And this also foreshadows the the showing up of Lindisty at some point as well, because Lando says, oh, and women might come to think you're attractive and he's going to end up married. So I don't, I'm not a real uh, big, not a real big fan of the wife, but whatever. <laughs> So you married a Nazi, Veer. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Son. Have fun with that. They didn't it's actually okay get married, though. They, didn't they? I thought they were just betrothed. I didn't think they actually no, got married. I, I, thought he, I thought he goes through with it at the end. I'll have to watch that episode again. But I think he actually says he's going through with it. Okay. I, I thought so, too. But I, I could be wrong, Blake. I just... Yeah. I thought they got It's been a while since I've done a rewatch. I could all be wrong there. I just thought they were... I just remember she's got the serial killer eyes when she's saying, let them die. It's okay if they die. They're not real people. Yeah, that actress is really good, but oh my God, that character. It's like, oh my God, will you please airlock yeah, You had issues with the far. Just wait. Yeah. <laughs> so the last two pieces kind of go hand in hand. The question was, is the issue with the stems going to continue? And then the prediction was Franklin's addiction will get worse. And of course, the answer is absolutely yes. It's going to be the main plot point for Franklin for quite a bit of season three. Uh, but also, you know, I'm always surprised when I wa- rewatch this show, how actually quick his walkabout is concluded. 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's only like three or four episodes, if I remember right, between mm-hmm. when he really goes off the deep end to where he is somewhat, you know, sober. Um, but we'll see. Uh, what do you guys have to say about Franklin? They probably just didn't want him to be absent, you know, for, mm-hmm. for, you know, longer, even though he got, you know, one, one episode that was really Franklin centric, which is, you know, a fairly good episode, you know, where he is, they show him on walkabout and he falls in love, but, you know, they probably mm-hmm. just didn't want him to be completely absent for longer than, you know, three or four episodes, which yes, I, I agree with you. Scott, it's probably a little bit of a quick resolution, but at the same time, I, I there's a lot going on in that part of the season, so I, it doesn't feel like awful to me. There's a line that uh, Paul Bentley said when they were uh, when he was doing interview stuff for uh, WandaVision, and he says, "In WandaVision, I get to act with my favorite actor of all time," and everyone's like, "Oh, who's who's coming on WandaVision?" Turns out he acted with himself at the end of the episode, the last episode, yeah. and I just think the same thing with uh, with Biggs. He gets to act against his favorite actor in the whole world himself. <laughs> when I think with with this one, it's kind of interesting to see the newbie start to see that revelation of maybe some of the explanation for Franklin's behavior. I think you pointed it out even going back to season one and two and thinking, this is a guy with a problem. You start to see those pieces fall into place now. Well, and JMS always had that plan for the doctor. I mean, go back to Mm -hmm. Dr. Ben. He was taking stems in the gathering. Mm -hmm. So this was always a plan for JMS. Well, and even the uh, episode with the healing device, uh, the name's escaping Mm -hmm. me at the moment. The doctor and that uh, lost her medical mercy. license for using stems. Yeah, this has been this has been a very slow burn for JMS. And yeah. We're not even to the end of it yet. So I, I truly am curious, especially those newbies. And I think we'll have this conversation more when we get to walk about and all that. I'm curious to those newbies who really were dogging on Franklin, uh, how they feel about him after they go through this whole arc. And again, some of the stuff, understandable. But I think when it comes to just his personality and his like, you know, God complex. I think this is going to answer a lot of those questions because he even talks about that with himself, his God complex. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to those conversations. Yeah, I am too, because, you know, those, those episodes really humanize him in a way that they hadn't done, you know, too much at that point. And it really gives big something to chew on as an actor, which yeah. he's, he's very good in those episodes. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think that'll be a fun one to, to, to dive into but i i reiterate the fact that it's just really interesting to me that they you know they established that garibaldi is an addict and you know and unfortunately the like i said the the actor dealing with his own addiction issues uh at the time uh and and after and it's uh yeah, there's there's some tragedy there but it it's it's done very well in the series it's it's unfortunate, obviously, that Jerry Doyle has passed, and uh, I really wish we would have got a chance to talk to him. But I am working on something that may be the next best thing, and I'll leave it there. So I did look it up, by the way. They did not get married. Linda Steed left okay. the station, and the marriage was delayed by her family because Veer got booted from his position. That's so they didn't break the patrol. They didn't break the patrol. But okay, that gotcha, gotcha. So they never really say one way or the other if anything ended up happening okay Beer never fucked the nazi which is great no no uh no, con- no, no, no six <laughs> not even not oh even he gave uh, womp womp <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my 
funniest this is one of the best veer scenes is him not wanting to explain to ivanova <laughs> centauri sex is like that scene is hilarious and i'm not sure that too many actors could have pulled that off as well as stephen first did completely agree with you on that one Anything else you all want to talk about with this episode? I know it's not exactly a barn burner in terms of spoilers, but, uh, uh, and actually, honestly, we have another bottle episode coming up next week, but the difference is I think it's a stronger bottle episode. Um, but anything else you want to talk about with this episode? I think the only other thing, you know, we're talking about is the, the, the foreshadowing and the, the coming friendship that's dawning really in this episode for the most part between Garibaldi and Jakar you know, that becomes, you know, an interesting part of particularly season three. And uh, this is, you know, the very, very beginning of it. But I, I really enjoy that, that friendship, um, you know, as gets to be pretty solid, especially with Londo uh, not really being Mr. Popular anymore. Yep. One does not just thump the book of Jaquan, <laughs> Mr. Garibaldi. Okay, we'll go ahead and leave it there, and we'll be back next week to talk Passing Through Gethsemane, which, uh, as I've already alluded to, is a really good episode, in my opinion. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation. Until next week, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. And Kevin. And don't forget to hit all the buttons, except for the down arrow, and if you can, please, 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 leave a review. It really does help. We'll see you all next week. Thanks. Bye. He really wants to play metal? Yeah, he's got his own band in Moscow. It's called Fuck Your Yankee Blue Jeans or something like that. That doesn't sound metal. You gotta hear him sing Olaf Berserker. Come on, man, Berserker. Does he sing in English or Russian? In English. Come on, Berserker. Girls think sexy. Uh, uh, I'll watch what he's gonna sing and watch. It's too funny. My love for you is like a truck bouncer. Would you like some making fuck bells? Ah, ah. <laughs> That's fucking funny, man. Did he say making fuck?